0: Open your Bible with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. And while you are making your way there, I want to take a moment and acknowledge an extremely honored group of people among us this morning. A group so special they are due recognition not only one day a year, but each day. If you are a mother... Corporately, together, we want to say thank you for all that you do to love and serve your family. Our lives are richer because of you. Our church is stronger because of you. And our hearts are full because of you. Um, We have a table set up in the back. I'm looking at dozens upon dozens of flowers Uh, that we would love to give to you as a small token of appreciation, along with a book uh, that encourages us to raise the next generation as gospel witnesses. And so please take advantage of that. Also, after the service, we have set up just in the gym across the hall here, a photo booth. And so kids, if you're a child, look at me right now. Don't make mom drag you over there to take a picture. Not today. Not today. Today, it's your job. You get mom and say, mom, come take a picture with me. You got it? Okay, good conversation. (laughs) So thank you. Happy Mother's Day. As I was thinking about what a blessing a mother is to her home, I wondered what kind of characteristics a mom might hope would describe her household. Full disclosure, the first phrase that came to my mind was the phrase, totally vacuumed. A totally vacuumed home. And then I thought about the description, a home where the dishes are done. You feel the anxiety release from the room those words? Or the unusual condition, laundry complete. And then there's that one day every once in a while where the house is totally vacuumed and the dishes are done and the laundry is complete. Guys, today should be a day like that. Go and serve your mom's. Um, But there is far more important things than those temporal matters that would include characteristics like a loving home, a joyful, forgiving home. Many of us are the recipients of homes like that. A hospitable, caring home. For those of you who are Christians or grew up with a Christian mother, you might add a godly household where you came to know the faith. Moms, you're praying that your homes be ones in which disciples are made, where Christ is worshiped. Those are godly characteristics to pray for. Every household has characteristics of its own. It has a culture that's created by those who live in it. And in a similar way, each church has a culture of its own, created by those who make it up. And like a mother longs for a household that would be overflowing with the life and joy of Christ, so too we long to see our church marked by a culture that overflows with love and the joy of Christ. If you were to step back and think about our church, what characteristics do you pray would mark the Trails Church? What characteristics come to mind? In this series entitled For the Mission, we've been looking at the role of the church in fulfilling the Great Commission. We highlighted the first week that the church exists to glorify God by enjoying Him forever together. The second week, we looked at our mission of making disciples, the mission given by Christ to His church. Last week, we turned our attention to the gospel that creates the church, that empowers and animates. The church, that it is also our message. This week, we'll think about the importance of the church itself in the mission of making disciples. The description of the first church recorded in the New Testament has had an indelible mark on the vision of the local church. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 is where we'll spend our time this morning, and it paints a vivid picture of of what marked the very first church plant we find in the New Testament. And here we see how passionately committed this church was to both growing as disciples and making disciples, committed to depth in Christ and breadth with the news and message of Christ. These early Christians understood they were not saved by Christ and sent by him to make disciples on their own, rather... Our faith comes with a family. We are part of the people of God. And in Christ, we have mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers that are meant to help us grow as Christians, that we're called to help grow also in the Lord. So from Acts 2, 42 through 47, our sermon is entitled, For the Church. And we'll look at this early church through three grace-filled characteristics, we find here first the commitment of the church, second, the community of the church, and third, the commission of the church. Let me invite you to stand your feet once more for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. This is God's word to us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. The first characteristic that we see on display is the commitment of the church. And there are four things that Luke tells us the church was devoted to, committed to, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, for our purposes this morning, we're going to summarize the commitment of the church primarily twofold, like this. They were passionately committed to God and committed to one another. That's what I want us to see from these, uh, in, from these verses, The word devoted expresses how joyfully serious they were about this business. Devoted is a strong word. It means to be loyal to someone, like the devotion of a mother to her child. This is the kind of abiding love that the church has for God and has also for each other. Let's look at how they were passionately committed to God. Verse 42 says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, the teaching of the apostles would have included the entirety of the Old Testament, the teachings of Christ while he was here on the earth, and also the teachings of the apostles about Christ and life in the good news of Jesus, what we would call now the New Testament. So we can say the thing they were committed to was the Scripture. They wanted to know God. And they wanted to know God in his word. Before Luke tells us any of the other remarkable things about this church, we see their devotion to God was the source of their life and vitality. I love what Alistair Begg says about this. He says, we find the church becomes a Bible school. Every church is like a little Bible school in a way. He says, 3,000 pupils in the Bible school and the teachers are none other than the apostles themselves. And they set about to know what God is saying and has been saying through the Old Testament to his people. They were a people of the word. When you add their commitment to being a praying people, to their continual worship of God, it shows this rhythm of breathing in the word and breathing out prayer and worship. Inhaling grace, exhaling praise. Knowing God was the lifeblood of the church. The second thing they were committed to was one another. Verse 42 says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Their commitment was not just to their own personal growth. They were equally as committed to the growth of others. They weren't just looking at themselves. This wasn't just me and Jesus, which is the message of American evangelicalism. No, it was the people of God. It's, it's evidence, if you're growing in Christ, to look around and care for others and being committed to them growing in Christ. And verse 44 tells us that they were together. They loved being together. You see this throughout this passage. They were meeting in the temple day by day worshiping together, eating together in homes, their lives were intertwined as a community of faith. The church wasn't an add-on to their lives in the middle of an already packed schedule. It was the family that they belonged to. And you see how they loved caring for each other. Verse 45, there's a sense of mutual care in this church as they made sure one another's Needs were met. most of these are financial. Why is that important? Well, at the time, to trust in Christ meant you were most likely then uh, kicked out of your family. It meant you could have also lose your job to, to claim the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ. You're pushed to the margin, you couldn't make an income. And so then the family of God cared for those people who were suffering greatly. The unity of the church has seen and how they suffered persecution and abandonment and loss, the church adorns the gospel in the way that it cares for each other. Part of what I hope happens in this season in our church is that we might recommit to the calling that Christ has given to us in the Great Commission, really in in many ways, I pray that at the heart of that would be that we would recommit to know God in His Word more fervently, more devotedly, more passionately, more full of joy than ever before. And that as we really know God in His Word, that that would equally be seen in how we know and love and care for each other. That our knowledge of God wouldn't terminate on us, but would flow to other people to help build up the body of Christ. Christ. In what ways does your life evidence commitment to the body of Christ? There's a thousand ways. But in what ways does your life evidence that kind of commitment, both to Christ and to his church? In their commitment to God and one another, we see the commitment of the church. The second characteristic that shines from this text is the community of the church. There's nothing else like this in the world, the community of the church. Often in membership class, we ask people to explore this passage, and I'll give them a few minutes. Say, hey, take some time, read through this text, and see what characteristics that you see in studying this passage. Kids, you can do that right now. You can just work your way through that. What characteristics do you see of this church? How would you describe what you see going on? Um, We've got a running list, I think, of over 50 words now that help describe these people, but we might summarize all of it by saying what they experience is biblical community. Biblical community. So before social media existed, the only way to see into someone else's house and get a sense of what kind of people they are, what kind of culture existed in their home, was to be invited into it, right? Right? Now we post pictures all the time of some kind of culture of our homes. But what we have here is it's almost like this first church is welcoming us over to dinner. To walk through their home and get a sense of what they're like. What they really are like. And so I want us to just take a brief stroll through their home. We've been invited. And remind us that everything we see here is God's grace on display. The point is is not the church, but the church points to Christ, whose grace is at work in them. So what do we see happening in this community? Well, first, they gathered together as a public witness. Now, I'm going to pull from all kinds of verses through this, and I'm actually going to reach back into verses like 37 through 41 to show what kind of community this is. The first thing I want us to reveal is that they gathered together as a public witness. We see that in 2:46, the church gathered publicly to worship Jesus, to pray, to open God's word, to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They were a worshiping community and at the center of it, it was Christ himself who is to be praised. Second, they had repented of sin. Just before this in Acts 2:38 we learn how this church began. It began by this group of people, a group of sinners in need of a savior that heard the good news of the gospel. And Luke says that they were cut to the heart By the power of the gospel, and they came to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in him for the forgiveness of their sin, they became born again. They were made new by the power of Christ. And then they were placed into a family. But They had repented of sin. That's very important. Third, they were then baptized and affirmed by the church. We see this in 2.41. These new believers who received the message of the gospel were baptized by the apostles into the church. And they kept up with who was joining. Like some kind of cloud-based church database. We see here 3,000 people were added to their number that day. They kept up with these people. They didn't just dunk them and send them into the world. No, they became part of this community. Baptism was their public identification both of being a follower of Christ and being a part of his church. So That's baptism. And then notice in 242 and 246, they were eating together. It says especially they were breaking bread together. Now that means that they were, that can mean they were eating regular meals together and we should do that. Uh, But most scholars think what's in view here actually is the Lord's Supper, which we do the first Sunday of each month together. They share that act, remembering and proclaiming the death of Jesus. And so the act of baptism and the act of communion were public acts of worship, and in them the church is affirming both their union to Christ and their union to one another. That's what baptism and the Lord's Supper are. And then the fourth evidence we see in this community is they were committed to one another. I thought you already said that. Well, I did, but I really want us to see this. Commitment to Christ means commitment to His church. The church partnered together in Christ. They were in Christ, and they were in the church. This is the pattern we see in the New Testament. So as I look at this text, I can't help but think of the preamble of our own church covenant. Maybe some of you are already thinking about it too. Anyone? Okay, well, trust me, you should. Look, that church covenant wasn't something that we just signed and then store away in some file folder. That's why at our member meeting, we, we regularly recite it. In our church anniversary, we recite it. We need to remember what we've committed to as a church. And I, I want to draw your attention to what I believe is a wonderful definition of the community of the church. And it's the very first part of our church covenant. By God's grace, we are gathered as those who have repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've given ourselves to him and affirmed one another as citizens of his kingdom through baptism and the Lord's Supper. Relying on his gracious aid, we do now solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. So first things first. Notice the words by God's grace. That phrase is not just a preamble. That is a confession. By God's grace. Our confession technically ends with 2 Corinthians 13, 14, which says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So from first to last, the only way a church covenant can, can be in existence where Christians can say we are going to do these things for one another is by God's grace. Grace. So, by God's grace, there are four specific statements in this confession that I want to just hold up right behind what we see here in Acts chapter 2. One, we gather. By God's grace, we are gathered, the, the um, statement says. Well, we gather on Sunday mornings, why? Because we have a heart to know God and to be with one another as we worship Him as a living body of Christ. That's why we also gather throughout the week as a community of faith, as disciples who are growing together. Uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, 35 warns us, meet together regularly. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a church. So we gather. Second, we have repented and believed. It says here, a true church is a fellowship of professing believers in Christ, And what that means is that in order to be a member of the trails, you need only do one thing. Be a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. Having been born again by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we repented and we believe. Third, we affirm one another as believers in Christ. This is what the church has been given to do. That's what we're doing. We're affirming one another. So when you see a baptism, you're more than just spectators. You're witnesses. It's like when you're sitting at a wedding. You were invited by some young guy and some gal to, to come to their wedding because they wanted a gift. I mean, they wanted you to be there. <laughs> and you're sitting there not just for free cake afterward. You're sitting there as a witness because when time gets hard, you can encourage and remind one another what they committed to do. And in just a couple of weeks, we'll share baptism together. And you're not just spectators. You are the church of Christ witnessing baptism, affirming this person is in Christ. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. And then with communion, this monthly meal that we share, this family meal, we're affirming one another. That we are Christians by God's grace and our desire is to know Him and to glorify God. We affirm one another in those two acts. And then we commit. You cannot read these verses and think these people were half-hearted in their devotion to each other. Yet, American evangelicalism is riddled with half-hearted commitment. There's a massive gap between this kind of biblical community and the kind that we often see in American evangelicalism. Am I the only one that sees that? I don't think so. Consumerism probably is the best word to describe much of what we see. We're trained to be consumers from the moment we're born. We're trained to be discontent with every piece of advertising and we've become discontent with the church anytime it doesn't meet our expectation. What does a consumer do? It consumes something until it, get what's, it gets what it needs from it and then it throws it away and moves on. The thing has been consumed. And this is not how it is meant to be with the bride of Christ. We've bought a really easy form of church membership that says just show up on Sunday, get what you need, and get out the door. It's not the picture that we see in the Bible. It's not the church that Christ died for. It's not the church that Christ gave his his spirit to that empowers us to supernatural love, supernatural commitment. These people weren't gritting their teeth and showing white knuckles to hang on to one another. Their hearts were full of love for Christ and it spilled over onto those around them. That's the picture of biblical community the New Testament paints. From the beginning, we've held a high view of church membership. It says, if you want to be a part of the Trails Church, we would love to have you. But be a part. How many... How many people to teach us are sitting on the sideline here in Acts 2? None. We are members of the body of Christ, parts of the body of Christ, meant to build up. For homework, you might just spend a little time in Ephesians chapter 4. I almost tried to read all of it here. It would take way too long, but please spend some time reading Ephesians chapter 4 to see how that works. But I pray that every member of our church would invest your lives in the community of the church. The final characteristic is the commission of the church. We highlighted in verse 42 how devoted this group of Christians were to growing as disciples and growing together as a church. But that passion, that commitment didn't terminate on them. It wasn't us for no more. It wasn't we are the frozen chosen and we're good till heaven. No, their commitment And their community spurred them on to fulfill the Great Commission. We see evidence of how God worked through the church as they proclaimed the good news of Jesus to those who don't know Him. Verse 43, all came upon every soul. The all came from the signs and wonders the apostles were doing as evidence of the power of the gospel. Today, the power of the gospel is still seen in the supernatural work of Christ raising a person from death in sin to life in Christ. And the supernatural power of the gospel is evidenced all around the globe as sinners who have come to salvation in Christ join together to form these little supernatural communities that only exist because Christ has died Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. That is why we exist. Verse forty-seven tells us that the church had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their their number day by day. Those who are being saved. This is a, a divine mixture of awe and wonder, and favor and salvation. This wasn't revivalism. It wasn't the church spinning its wheels to manufacture something fake. It was the Lord who added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the commission is clear. Our church is meant to be filled with serious, joy-filled disciples of Jesus. who have the great privilege of helping one another grow as serious, joy-filled disciples of Jesus. Some churches would be prone to look at this passage and just fixate on verse 42 and say, well, you see how devoted to doctrine and the church they were. This is how those people talk. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. Other churches, I'll avoid an accent here. Other churches look at verse 47 and say, see how devoted to the mission they were. Look how devoted to doctrine they are. Look how devoted to the mission they are. These are at odds. And the New Testament says, no way are those things at odds. That's the plan. That's how it was always meant to work. Building deep believers in Christ who grow wide through their reach and through their public witness. I love how John Stott holds these things together when he writes. On its own, verse 42 presents a very lopsided picture of the church's life. Verse 47 needs to be added And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The first Jerusalem Christians were not so occupied with learning, sharing, and worshiping that they forgot about witnessing. For the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit who created a missionary church. Next week we have the privilege of looking at that whole thought for a solid half hour together. Here it is important for us to see that they kept the external focus of the church in view. They wanted to grow deeply in Christ, but not so that all the learning and all the joy of Christian community would just terminate on the church itself, but that it would be a conduit of God's love, of the message and power of the gospel to those around them. The church is the megaphone of God's grace. This first church had been with Jesus. They had never seen him. Some may have, actually, but it's not that they had seen him. They had heard him proclaimed. The gospel had cut them to the heart, and they had been changed. One of my favorite verses in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where it says these people were unlearned and probably rough around the edges. But the description of them, the characteristic of them, Is they had been with Jesus. And if there's one characteristic that I pray is true of the Trails Church, if you asked people in our community, what is the Trails Church like? I pray that they would say, they have been with Jesus. They have been with Jesus, they know God. They believe the Bible to be true. They believe the only way to be saved is by repenting of sin and putting your trust in Christ. And if you've joined us this morning on this Mother's Day and you have yet to experience forgiveness of your sin. The arms of Christ are wide open toward you. Repent of your sin. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved like these saints of old, like those sitting in this room. Um, just this week I got an email from a lady who's been visiting our church for the last few weeks. Um, I might read to you a portion of it next week, but the summary of it was this. She said, I've been running from the forgiveness of Jesus Christ my whole life, and I'm done running. I surrender, and I believe in Christ as my Savior. How does that happen? Jesus does it. He does it from first to last. None of us saved her. None of us died for her. People have been investing in her life for many years. but They could not save her. Only Jesus did that. But don't miss where it happens, because this is where this is meant to happen. In the fertile soil of a local church, an ordinary, common, supernatural, local church. And when Jesus stands atop this hillside in Galilee and commissions his church to go and make disciples, he commissioned his church to do that. You and I together. Some may plant seed. Others may water, but the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. And so we look to him. Let's pray as we do. Jesus, I thank you for the blood that you shed for us, costly blood. Thank you for the hope of our salvation that has been made known and secured and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that in your divine plan, you established a people from before the foundations of the earth that would be called by your name, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. And though often it feels like we're wearing uh, titles that we don't uh, deserve, and that's true, God, let us believe who you say we are. Give us a supernatural love both for your word and for one another. And for all of those who have yet to come to know the same salvation that we have known. We ask these things in Jesus' name.